0: Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, April 21st, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topshier with today's headlines.
1: A deadly stampede in Yemen
0: kills dozens. SpaceX's Starship rocket explodes minutes into its first test flight.
1: The U.S. House passes a federal ban on transgender athletes from women's sports.
0: A mysterious flash over Key triggers speculation.
1: A U.S. watchdog warns that aid to Afghanistan may be going to the Taliban.
0: Robert F. Kennedy Jr. launches his 2024 U.S. presidential bid.
1: Scientists warn that El Nino could bring record global temperatures this year.
0: UNICEF reports a drop in childhood vaccinations due to COVID lockdowns.
1: F1 champion Michael Schumacher's family threatens legal action over a fake AI interview.
0: And scientists discover why hair turns gray.
1: In Yemen, a stampede at a Ramadan event kills at least 85 people. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, The Associated Press, India Today, Wall Street Journal, and CNN. On Wednesday, a stampede at a charity event in Yemen's capital, Sana'a, killed at least 85 and left over 70 critically injured. Videos shared on social media showed bodies piled up on the streets, blood-stained shoes and victims' clothing scattered on the ground, and people screaming for help as emergency services tried to rescue survivors. Eyewitnesses claim armed Houthis fired into the air to control the swelling crowd. However, the bullet struck an electrical wire and caused an explosion, sparking panic that sent the people, including women and children, running for their lives. The crowd had reportedly gathered at a school to receive financial aid, or zakat al-Fatir, of 5,000 Yemeni rials, $9, in the Islamic holy month of Ramadan. The Houthis announced they would give 1,000,000 Yemen rial, or $4,000, to each family of the deceased and 200,000 Yemeni rial, or $800, to each injured person. The civil war that began in 2014 and became one of the world's worst humanitarian tragedies has forced more than two-thirds of the country's population, or over 21 million people, to need help and protection.
0: Well, Melissa, even here we have some uh, divergent narratives on this tragic story. Let's start with the establishment critical narrative from At al The chaotic stampede, sadly coming just days before the Muslim holiday of Eid al-Fitr, could have been avoided if the organizers had coordinated with local authorities about their plan to distribute aid to hundreds of people ahead of time. This latest tragedy simply highlights the suffering of the Yemeni people being exacerbated by U.S.-Saudi aggression. And here's a
1: pro-establishment narrative from the Washington Post. It was ultimately Houthi gunfire that sparked the chaos, and only they can be blamed for this latest tragedy compounding Yemen's already extraordinary humanitarian crisis. This accident must, however, be viewed in its full geopolitical context and shows why conflict resolution continues to be so challenging in this intractable conflict.
0: The SpaceX Starship launch ends with an explosion. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, CBS News, Forbes, USA Today and Reuters. Elon Musk-owned SpaceX's next-generation Starship spacecraft Thursday enjoyed a clean liftoff before exploding minutes later. The rocket made it just 23 miles into the air. The unpiloted flight of the most powerful rocket ever built lasted more than two minutes before it experienced what a SpaceX engineer called a, quote, rapid unscheduled disassembly, or RUD, during ascent. On Monday, SpaceX had postponed the Starship launch minutes before it was scheduled for liftoff because of what Musk called a problem with a pressurant valve. Once the launch was scrapped, SpaceX instead held a wet dress rehearsal, during which the team wet the propellant tanks and loaded the propellant into the system as if it was holding the actual launch. Starship, which stands 394 feet tall and 30 feet wide and is the largest rocket ever built, received government approval to launch just last week. Before the launch, Musk tempered expectations by saying that if it doesn't blow up the launch pad, he would consider the launch a success. This flight comes after years of tests, including some that ended in explosions. Musk hopes Starship someday will be able to carry cargo and humans to Mars.
1: Here's Narrative A from Space.com. This was an amazing accomplishment by SpaceX, even with the explosion. No one was expecting perfection this time around, but the company's plans are still on track. With numerous Starship vehicles in production, we could see another test flight soon, and in a few years, we might see manned flights. If anyone's going to get humans to Mars, it's Musk and SpaceX.
0: And narrative B comes from Politico. This launch might be cause to celebrate, but it's also a reason not to rush to the next launch without first assessing what went wrong and what needs to be done to continue to assure public safety is protected. That might even mean some form of federal regulation of commercial spaceflight programs. And there's a
1: nerd narrative from the folks at the Metaculous Prediction Community saying there's a 70% chance SpaceX will land anything on Mars before 2030.
0: What's so great about Mars? It's the only place that's close enough that that we could like land on and like check out like, Venus is a huge storm and Mars is, the, yeah. e- or even like land and like do like a moon type thing where we right. walk around. Right. Venus is like horribly hot and stormy. So right. uh, Mars at least, <laughs> yeah. And those are way farther away. Like Venus yeah. and Mars are the only two that are even remotely close and it's not, it's not close.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So I think that's the big deal with Mars and maybe there's something cool there. You know, I don't know. There, there
1: is like the biggest volcano that we know exists. Olympus
0: Mons. Yes, that's, that's right.
1: right. And my son is very into that. But he knows right. the biggest volcano is on Mars. So.
0: Yep, it is a big volcano.
1: The U.S. House passes a bill banning transgender athletes from women's teams. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, NBC, Politico, Fox News, and CNN. The Republican-controlled U.S. House of Representatives passed legislation that would ban transgender athletes who were born male from competing on girls' or women's sports teams at federally supported schools and colleges. Representative Greg Stube, Republican of Florida, sponsored the Protection of Women and Girls Sports Act, which would amend Title IX to prohibit schools from allowing people whose sex is male from participating in sports designated for females. The bill defines a person's sex based solely on his reproductive biology and genetics at birth. However, transgender students would still be able to practice or train with a program designated for girls and women. The House vote was split along party lines, with all 219 yes votes coming from the Republicans and all 203 no votes from Democrats. Despite being passed by the House, the bill is unlikely to survive a Democratic-controlled Senate, and President Biden has said he would veto the bill if necessary. The Protection of Women and Girls Sports Act comes as 20-plus states have already imposed limits on trans athletes competing at the K-12 or collegiate level.
0: Thanks for that update, Melissa. We have a Republican narrative from Breitbart. The GOP is on the side of fairness and sanity as it passes the Protection of Women and Girls Sports Act. The biological differences between men and women are apparent, and we see these differences so starkly when a biological male competes against a woman. This legislation is a victory not only for women, but also for science and decency.
1: And here's the Democratic narrative from civilrights.org. This act is just the GOP's latest attack on the rights of transgender people. The GOP is not concerned with fairness to women. It's only concerned with promoting a political agenda. Transgender students don't harm their cisgender counterparts in any way. But this legislation strips this demographic of their rights to play on teams that align with who they are.
0: A mysterious flash over Kyiv triggers speculation. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, BBC News, CBS News, Fox News, NBC News, the Institute for the Study of War, and Euractiv. active. A bright flash briefly lit up the Kiev sky on Wednesday night, triggering speculation as to whether a satellite or a meteorite was hurtling toward the surface of the Ukrainian capital. Serhiy Popko, the head of Kiev's military administration, hinted that the incident was due to a NASA space satellite dropping to Earth. Earlier in the week, the U.S. Space Agency announced that a retired satellite, the Resey spacecraft, would re-enter the atmosphere on Wednesday. However, when asked to comment, an agency spokesperson said the satellite was still in orbit at the time the flash was observed. Elsewhere, in the case of 21-year-old Jack Teixeira, the member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard, accused of leaking dozens of Pentagon documents, a federal judge on Wednesday delayed his pre-trial detention hearing by two weeks. Magistrate Judge David Hennessy granted permission for the extension after lawyers for Teixeira asked for more time to review the government's request for detention. Meanwhile, the Senate Intelligence Committee on Wednesday called for the Pentagon to provide it with all the documents allegedly leaked by Teixeira. In the letter addressed to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines, Committee Chairman Mark Warner, Democrat of Virginia, and Ranking Member Senator Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida, also, demanded that the Pentagon outline to share his vetting process, stating that the leak prompted concerns about serious deficiencies in the government's security protocols. Later in the day, defense officials, including Haynes, gave senators a classified briefing on the leaks. However, it was criticized by members of both parties. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin, said, I would, by and large, typify it as bureaucratic gobbledygook. While Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, was also disparaging, saying, I didn't get a very good explanation of how this could happen. I'm just as confused now as I was before the briefing. Moscow, meanwhile, appeared to be facing security concerns of its own as state controlled outlet TASS reported that Russia's Federal Security Service, the FSB, conducted mass checks at government departments and police stations due to the leakage of data from Russian security forces at the request of Ukrainian citizens. Other sources suggested that some police officers had already been taken into custody. Elsewhere, NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg on Thursday made his first visit to Kiev since the conflict began. He attended a memorial for fallen Ukrainian soldiers before meeting Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky for talks. The visit came ahead of the latest meeting of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group, set to take place at the Ramstein Air Base in Germany on Friday.
1: All right, we'll begin this round of narrative spins with a pro-establishment narrative from U.S. News. U.S. national security agencies are doing everything they can to minimize the damage from the Pentagon leaks and prevent such a disclosure from happening again, including further restricting access to sensitive documents in the future. A disclosure of this type is unlikely to reoccur.
0: And the establishment critical narrative comes from the Boston Herald. It was time for a review of security policies and procedures long before this incident occurred. The damage has now been done, and the episode only serves to highlight how the government has fallen short of protecting its most sensitive secrets.
1: And there's a nerd narrative from the folks at Metaculus saying there's a 12% chance there will be a war between Russia and one or more NATO countries, but not the U.S. by 2035. A U.S. watchdog cannot assure Afghanistan aid is not going to the Taliban. And here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Fox News, NBC, Stars and Stripes, and The Hill. John Sopko, the U.S. Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, or SIGAR, told the House Oversight Committee presiding over the 2021 withdrawal from Afghanistan on Wednesday that U.S. aid to the country may at least partially be funding the Taliban. Sopko also criticized the Department of State for obfuscation and delay regarding access to information in probing the more than $8 billion in U.S. funding made available to the Afghan people since the 2021 withdrawal, which is supposed to bypass the Taliban. He also warned that the Taliban is likely diverting funds meant for assistance, which includes aid for food provision, health care, agriculture, civil society, and human rights away from their intended recipients via customs charges on imports and taxes and fees on non-governmental organizations. The State Department said it had stopped providing assistance for the purpose of the reconstruction of Afghanistan after the Taliban's takeover adding that SIGAR's jurisdiction over financial activities after the withdrawal was still unclear, and the department has continued to cooperate with all relevant government bodies. According to the World Bank, 70% of Afghan households cannot meet basic needs such as food. Due to the Taliban's restrictions on women and girls, they have been disproportionately affected by this humanitarian crisis. The Trump administration made a deal with the Taliban in 2020 to eventually withdraw U.S. forces, with the incumbent Biden administration choosing to continue the policy, leading to the Taliban takeover. SEGAR was created in 2008 to oversee U.S. spending in Afghanistan.
0: Thanks for laying out the facts, Melissa. The Republican narrative comes from the Free Beacon. The evidence continues to mount that the Biden administration's rushed and chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan led directly to the fall of Kabul and the Taliban returning to power. There's no excuse for the unjust suffering the Afghan people have endured since then, all because Biden wanted to score some cheap political points. And now it seems he is indirectly supporting the Taliban. This administration must be held accountable for its continued foreign policy failures.
1: There's a Democratic narrative from Vox the U.S. disastrous invasion and occupation of Afghanistan under George W. Bush, and hasty Trump-era policies, not Biden's withdrawal, are to blame for the fall of Kabul and the current humanitarian crisis. The fact that Afghan security forces crashed immediately following the U.S. withdrawal indicates that the security situation was simply unsustainable and the collapse was inevitable. There are, of course, valid criticisms of the withdrawal, but most have been unnecessary partisan attacks against Biden.
0: And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 25 percent chance that the United States will recognize the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan before the year 2030.
1: If you could name a, an organiz- a government organization, um, Scott, I think since you are a, a comedian that you might try to sneak in some kind of funny uh, acronym.
0: I think it might have been an Iron Man 3 where uh, Tony Stark named binarily augmented retro framing. (laughs) Barf. Barf is the perfect word. It's not vulgar, but it's like Naughty. And uh, and also it's kind of a funny like barf is the funniest word for throw up puke is a little too visceral yeah it's got that
1: liquid you and you don't want liquid uh, yeah
0: Yeah. and then throw up or you know reverse uh, peristalsis that's all too clinical Uh, barf that's the word you know if you were making. Uh, you know, artificial vomit in a factory. It's fake barf. That's right. What, you know, that's what it is. I
1: mean, to Ralph is pretty funny, too. Oh,
0: I like Ralphing. In college, we used to call it booting. I don't know what the origin of that is or if that's like a widespread thing. But we were there's a lot of booting going on.
1: I bet that came from the military.
0: And probably. Yeah, it was totally foobar. So, yeah. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. launches his 2024 presidential bid. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBS, Fox News, and USA Today. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., nephew of former U.S. President John F. Kennedy and son of former Attorney General and 1968 presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy, both killed in high-profile assassinations, launched his 2024 presidential bid in Boston on Wednesday. The 69-year-old environmental lawyer rose to prominence in some circles as a critic of the COVID vaccinations. However, others, including social media firms, allege he and his charity, Children's Health Defense, spread vaccine misinformation. Taking the stage at the Park Plaza Hotel, Kennedy outlined his goal to end the corrupt merger of state and corporate power that is threatening now to impose a new kind of corporate feudalism on our country. In the nearly two-hour speech, Kennedy criticized former President Donald Trump's handling of the pandemic describing lockdowns imposed by his administration as the worst thing that he did to this country. He pledged to heal the polarization that he says has riddled America, as well as the chronic disease epidemic. He joins the field for the Democratic Party against President Joe Biden, who has not yet formally announced his re-election bid, and self-help author Marianne Williamson. In an early poll conducted by USA Today and Suffolk University, 67% said they would back Biden, while Kennedy gained 14%. Williamson gained 5%, while 13% said they were undecided at this stage.
1: Those were the facts, and here's the narrative spin. Here's Narrative A, coming from Press Republican. Kennedy's chances may be outside odds. However, the power of his family's name is undisputed. He has spent his life fighting for clean air and energy against corporate greed. And with many Americans preferring Biden to step aside, Kennedy's political ambitions may have legs.
0: And narrative B comes from The Guardian. Kennedy has been publicly denounced by public health experts and even members of his own family as promulgating dangerously misleading and offensive information. This isn't a man that should become the Democratic nominee for president. In fact, his ties to right-wing operatives and power brokers must be closely scrutinized. And there's a nerd narrative
1: saying there's a 71 percent chance that Joe Biden will become the Democratic nominee for the 2024 U.S. presidential election. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction community.
0: I'll say this. Jumping in as a divisive figure in the party and just getting 14 percent of the uh, of the potential primary voters, that's not nothing.
1: That's true. I mean, they might be onto something about the the weight of his name. You know, yeah. And it's not like he's been sitting around, whether, you, whether or not you like what he's doing. He's, he's been well, active. Well, you know
0: who was sitting around the audience for his two-hour speech? Wow.
1: Oh, yeah. In our next story, climate scientists say El Nino could bring record temperatures in 2023. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Investing.com of India, The Guardian, Axios, Fizz.org, and ABP Live. On Thursday, scientists from the EU's Copernicus Climate Change Service warned that with the expected arrival of El Nino later this year, it's possible that Earth could reach a new average temperature record in 2023 or 2024, surpassing the previous hottest year recorded in 2016. The El Nino weather pattern, which sees winds traveling west near the equator, slow and push warm water east, creating higher surface ocean temperatures, is set to follow three years of its counterpart La Niña in the Pacific Ocean, which typically cools global temperatures. The prediction echoed scientists across the globe with Australia's Bureau of Meteorology last week claiming that seven different predictive models show sea temperatures will cross the El Niño threshold by August this year, with a 50% chance of the event occurring in 2023. Furthermore, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, has placed odds of 62% of the phenomenon occurring between May and July this year and 85% later in the year. El Nino affects approximately 6,000 miles westward off the coast of Ecuador by an increase of typically 2 to 4 degrees Fahrenheit. Citing the burning of fossil fuels, Imperial College London's Friedrich Otto has said there's a good chance temperatures will be hotter than in 2016.
0: All right, thanks for that meteorological story, Melissa. We have a Narrative A from Washington Post. The record 2016 temperatures from El Nino caused horrific droughts in Ethiopia, cyclones in Fiji, record rain and snowfall in the U.S., and history's worst coral reef die-off. Some scientists say it's already too late to stop global warming. However, there must be a concerted effort to try to prevent this brief spike from becoming a permanent reality.
1: Narrative B is from Forbes. While climate change is an urgent issue, journalists and activists have an obligation to separate the facts from fiction and describe environmental problems honestly and accurately. The catastrophic framing of climate change does far more harm than good, not only by impacting the mental health of our youth, but by alienating and polarizing large portions of the population and distracting from other important issues. Climate alarmism must be taken with a grain of
0: salt. And we have a statistics-based nerd narrative on this story as well. There's an 85% chance there will be at least 2 degrees Celsius of global warming by the year 2100. According to the meticulous prediction community for bringing El Nino back again right. that, remember, it was, there was like I think El Nino was 98 that was I like the peak fully it? Came, yeah, I think so.
1: I don't think we're allowed to bring El Nino back unless we bring Chris Farley back. That's my proposition.
0: Oh yeah. You know what and I would say if we could, if they if I had to make a deal, I'll take El Nino back if we get Chris Farley back. We'll take a warming ocean. That's fine.
1: I think that's we'll, a f- the fair deal. Deal. That's a funny deal. Very
0: funny. It's <laughs> a funny deal, yeah. <laughs> I love Chris. I feel like there's a hole in all of our hearts that's very large. Yeah. The size of Chris Farley. Like we could have we could have used him. Yeah. From
1: what I heard, one of my teachers at Second City for the acting conservatory I did in the early two thousands
0: mm-hmm.
1: was in the same like cast as Chris oh Farley, God. and so yeah, they were in. But but Del Close, father of of Longform Improv, yep. said to Chris Farley, "You're playing dumb. You're 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 playing dumb. You're going to get pigeonholed into that. You can do better." Hmm. I mean, and he took it he He took the play dumb and said, "I'm going to cash that in." <laughs>
0: right. Right. You're right, but you're but I'm right too. Like both right. You know, they're they're both right. Maybe maybe that was what he needed to to know, like, yes, I'm going to fall through so many coffee tables it's going to be unbelievable.". <laughs> UNICEF warns of a drop in childhood vaccinations amid COVID disruption. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Reuters, The Hill, and Voice of America. According to UNICEF's annual State of the World's Children report, some 67 million children globally either partially or completely missed routine vaccinations from 2019 to 2021 due to COVID lockdowns and the subsequent disruption of health care. UNICEF also said that during the same period, the public perception of vaccines for children declined in 52 of the 55 countries surveyed. The organization called it a worrying warning signal of rising vaccine hesitancy that had come amid misinformation, dwindling trust in governments, and political polarization. Besides China, India, and Mexico, where vaccine approval remains steady or improved, the rest of the nations surveyed saw confidence in routine childhood vaccines for diseases such as measles or diphtheria decline by as much as 44%. As vaccination rates dropped by more than a third in South Korea, Papua New Guinea, Ghana, Senegal, and Japan, the report added that people under 35 and women were more likely to report less confidence about vaccines for children after the start of the pandemic. Vaccine coverage for children declined in 112 countries, and the percentage of children vaccinated worldwide slipped by 5 percent to 81 percent the lowest since 2008, with Asia and Africa hit particularly hard by the decline. As 2019 to 2021 showed the largest decline in childhood immunizations in 30 years, researchers found that the children most impacted were those living in the poorest, most remote, and most marginalized communities.
1: Thank you, Scott. We'll start this round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative from UNICEF. Despite the historic development of COVID vaccines that have saved countless lives, pandemic lockdowns and the subsequent disinformation spread by conspiracy theorists have sent the world backwards. As doctors and scientists are achieving unprecedented amounts of vaccine success, it is important for government leaders and purveyors of public information to provide the most accurate and safe data so that vulnerable children are not harmed by those attempting to disrupt the medical industry's progress.
0: And the New York Post brings us the establishment critical narrative. Vaccine hesitancy wasn't on the rise until the U.S., alongside its global sidekick institutions, began enforcing COVID vaccine mandates for those who clearly didn't need them. It was the government, not fringe conspiracy theorists, who lied about the efficacy of the vaccines. And now they're gaslighting the population into thinking this corrupt scheme never occurred. If the medical establishment wants people to trust it, it shouldn't censor leading scientists who happen to disagree with the Food and Drug Administration.
1: And there's another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community saying there's a 53 percent chance that the FDA will authorize a new vaccine targeting COVID-19 in 2023. Schumacher's family will sue over fake AI interviews. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, The Independent, CNN, Yahoo Finance, and Forbes. On Wednesday, the family of Michael Schumacher said they would file suit against the publisher of Die Aktuelle, a German magazine, for running a fake interview with the seven-time F1 champion that was created by artificial intelligence. Schumacher hasn't been seen publicly since he suffered a near-fatal brain injury in December 2013 while skiing. His medical condition has been kept confidential, with his wife, Corina, focused on protecting his privacy. The April 15 edition of the magazine featured a picture of a smiling Schumacher on its front cover and a headline promoting Michael Schumacher, the first interview. A strap line under the headline read, It sounded deceptively real. In the story, Schumacher was quoted as saying his life has completely changed since the accident, which left him in a kind of artificial coma for months. The magazine revealed the quotes were generated by A.I. at the end of the article.
0: Well, this grim harbinger of a story has some narrative spins as well. There's Narrative A from Daily Mail. While this was an undeniably tone-deaf stunt, there's no reason for legal action. Schumacher is a public figure, and the magazine, fully transparent about the origin of the interview, had the right to attract attention by using his name. It seems the family wants privacy, except when they agree to sit for interviews for their own documentary, as they did in 2022.
1: And Narrative B comes from USA Today. This was a disgusting, self-promoting tactic by D. Octuella and the Schumacher family deserves any damages it can get from the magazine. But beyond the Schumacher family's predicament, this incident shows how AI can be used for nefarious purposes, and the world must prepare for the blurring of the line between true and fake information.
0: And Metaculus brings us another nerd narrative. This one says there's an 80 percent chance that there will be an event precipitated by AI that causes at least 100 deaths and or at least one billion dollars in economic damage by 2032. You know, F1 has gotten has had an explosion in popularity uh, for a number of reasons. Foremost, there's the, uh, the Net, there's a Netflix kind of reality documentary show about F1. Michael Schumacher for many years was the only name that the average American sports fan would have known for F1. He was the dominant. He was the Michael Mm. Jordan of F1 Uh. for like a long time. And it's weird that he had this horrible accident that took him out of the public eye and obviously out from behind the steering wheel right before the explosion of the sport. I mean, he would be a huge deal right now if Uh, if he was still driving.
1: Oh man, that's unfortunate.
0: And our final story, scientists discover why hair turns gray. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, Nature, Daily Mail, NYU Langone Health, the Indian Journal of Dermatology, Venerology, and Liprology, and Business Wire. According to a study published Wednesday in the journal Nature, scientists have discovered that the loss of chameleon-like function in melanocyte stem cells, or MCSCs, could be contributing to hair losing its color and turning gray during aging. Scientists found that as hair ages, sheds, and then grows back, such MCSCs get stuck in the bulge region of the hair follicles and lose their ability to regenerate into pigment cells and maintain hair color. Led by scientists from the New York University Grossman School of Medicine, the study focused on MCSCs in mice and discovered the number of hair follicles with stuck melanocyte stem cells increased from 15% in young hair to over half in aging hair. For the two-year study, scientists used advanced techniques to track MCSCs in real time as they aged and moved within each hair follicle. The findings match with a revelation made in 2013 when scientists provided compelling evidence of how age-related changes in the MCSCs contribute to hair graying. The discovery comes as the global hair color market is forecasted to grow by 7.5% and reach $33.7 billion by the year 2030.
1: Those were the facts, and here are the final rounds of Narrative Spins. We'll start with Narrative A from the Daily Mail. This study fills some gaps in the theory surrounding our understanding of how human hair gets and loses its color. The newfound mechanism for hair turning gray raises the possibility of developing a treatment to prevent graying. It might also help with alopecia areata, a medical condition where the immune system attacks the hair and and causes it to fall out.
0: Narrative B comes from Mashable. The study's findings must be taken with a grain of salt since hair is a relatively new area of focus for stem cell research, and we still need to understand whether we can replicate these results in humans. Moreover, while scientists may develop new stem cell therapies to restore our hair color in later life, such treatments can be abused by the multi-billion dollar global cosmetic industry.
1: And they will.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, what what can't be abused by the multi-billion dollar global cosmetic industry, though? Not much. If this is, if anything, this is the one one thing they can help us with.
1: Yeah, let them go nuts. Let them run wild.
0: Yeah, unless they purposely try to gray people's hair so they can sell more Grecian formula. That's, oh yeah. That's the dark side. Literally well, the dark side. Have you seen Grecian formula? It is. It is black.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, April twenty first, twenty twenty three.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.